So now, actually, let's get into our meditation posture, standing meditation posture. Very simple. Making sure your knees are not locked. Locking knees usually is not good. So just make sure the distance is maybe hip-wide apart, not too wide, not too short. Um, and you can have a soft gaze on the, on the ground. Maybe eyes are not completely closed. You can close your eyes if you want. You don't have to. You can experiment with either closing your eyes. If your balance is good, that's fine. If you want to keep your eyes just a little open so that a little bit of light comes in, let your gaze be very soft. Very soft. Okay. So in fact, I will start the meditation, the guided meditation, with all of us standing. And please know, if you want to sit, you're welcome to at any point, including right now, and if you want, if you sit down and you want to stand up again, you are welcome to do that. So you decide if you want to sit or stand, okay? It's the same. You can follow the guided meditation, okay? Whatever your body needs, just make sure your knees are not locked. Just bend a tiny bit. Back is straight. Ah, there's a sense of ease and spaciousness in the body. So, bringing your awareness, bringing your awareness to the bottom of your feet, bottom of your feet, touching the ground. Feeling connected to the earth. Letting the breath move in and out of your body on its own. Breath moving in, breath moving out. Letting each in-breath bring more aliveness, more energy, more wakefulness. And every out-breath to relax you, make you more calm, more settled more present in this body, in this moment, in this moment of your life, right now, right here, in this body. This moment will never repeat. It's never been like this, ever, and it will never repeat. So feeling the aliveness, the uniqueness, the spaciousness of this moment, of this life lived fully, in this moment. Letting the breath move in, move out. And now I'd like to invite you to bring to mind the image of someone whom you care about, someone for whom your love, your care, your goodwill just flows with ease. They're part of your life. 
someone with whom you have an easy, not a complicated relationship of expectations or tasks or chores. Sometimes children, babies are perfect candidates for this part of the practice or pets. And if there is a teenager in your life, you're welcome to imagine them when they were a child or a baby to make this an easier practice. Bring them to your mind, to your mind's eye, this being, this friend, this benefactor, whoever it might be, as clearly as you can, as clearly as you can, and it's best if it's someone who's alive, by the way, not deceased for this practice. Bring them to your mind's eye with as much detail as you can, their felt sense. What does it feel like to be in the presence of this being? And notice what comes up in your body, in your mind, when you conjure them up. Maybe you feel at ease, at peace. Maybe a smile shows up. Staying connected to their image, to their felt sense. And to the sense of goodwill or care or love, whatever you might call it. In Pali, we call it metta, M-E-T-T-A, translated often as loving kindness or just as care, as kindness, goodwill. And connected to their image, their felt sense, which is number one. Connected to the feeling that comes up in you when you imagine them in front of you, number two. Number three are the phrases of well-being, wishes for well-being and care. I'll offer a brief version, a short version of the metaphrases. If you have your own metaphrases, the classic four, or anything else, feel free to use them. I'll use an abbreviated version for our purposes today. May you be happy. May you be well. Just silently reciting to yourself, may you be happy, may you be well. your goodwill, your kindness, your good wishes, showering, washing over this being. May you be happy. May you be well. Just an expression of your goodwill. May you be happy, may you be well. Repeating, reciting the phrases as a thread continuing.
And now I'd like to invite you to bring to mind someone at your workplace, someone you don't know very well, maybe. Someone who's maybe somewhat neutral for you, if there is such a person. You don't know them very well. You don't either like them or dislike them. They're just another human being doing some function at work. A slight like or dislike is okay, but just nothing profound. You don't have a history with them. If there's no one like this at your work, it's okay for this part of the practice to bring in someone from your daily life, maybe someone who works at the grocery store that you visit, or a barista at a coffee shop, or maybe even a neighbor you don't really know. Someone who's relatively neutral. And as you bring them to mind, as clearly as you can, realize that they're a human being, just like you. Just like you, this person, even though you don't know them. Just like you, this being, wants to be happy. Just like you, this being has hopes and dreams and has had disappointments and failures. Just like you, this being experiences physical pain, emotional pain. You're not so different, this person, this being in you. And it's best if you can have a clear image of them as clearly as possible. If you're still kind of struggling, a person to person, maybe choose someone here whom you've seen, but you don't really know them. And from the stance of common humanity, that you're both objects of affection of someone. Somebody cares about this being, just like they care about you. Somebody loves this being. And this this person, this being, cares and loves for other people, just like you. You are not so different in your humanity, your hopes, dreams, disappointments, loss, sadness. You could have been born as this person. They could have been born as you, with your life experiences. You haven't chosen this body, this birth, the parents, the circumstances, many of them. Neither has this person. And from this stance of common humanity, wishing them well, dear fellow human being, whose name I may not even know, I wish you well. I wish you happiness. I wish you well-being. May you not suffer. May you not be sad. Just like I don't want to suffer. May you not suffer. Just like I don't want to be sad, may you not be sad. 
Just as I want to be happy, I wish you happiness. Bring their image to mind as clearly as you can. This neutral person, or mostly neutral person, and wishing them well. May you be happy. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be well. Bringing their image up even more clearly if it starts to fade. May you be happy. May you be well. Witnessing the capacity of your heart and goodwill. May you be happy. May you be well. And at some point it might just seem like you're saying the phrases. At some point it might feel like you're really feeling goodwill towards this person you don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter. This practice is just as worthwhile. Even if, even if it feels like you're just saying the phrases. May you be happy. May you be well. Fellow human being, I wish you well. I wish you well. Cultivating your heart in goodness, both for your own benefit and benefit of others. And now I'd like to ask you to bring to mind the image of someone at work that you have some difficulty with. Maybe not the number one person. Maybe number two or number three. Someone with whom you have some difficulty. Just you don't see eye to eye. But again, maybe not the biggest challenger just yet. Bring their image to mind. as clearly as you can, with as much detail as you can. And realizing that they are not so different. They're not so different from you. They're not so different in that they too want to be happy. They want to be happy. They don't want to suffer. They wake up in the morning wanting to do their best, just like you. They might have a different perspective, express it differently, maybe unskillfully at times, but internally they have hopes and dreams and wishes and aspirations and values just like you. They're an object of affection, of someone, somebody really cares about this person. You might find them difficult, but there's somebody else who does not find them difficult at all. 
And this person really cares, really loves other people in their life, is committed. Just like you, this person has experienced sorrow and pain and disappointment and loss, physical pain, sadness, illness. Maybe maybe even imagine them. And this person, just like you, has had experienced has experienced joys. and happiness. You are not so different from one another. Some of their actions might have been harmful to you because you hurt. Not condoning the actions. This practice is not about condoning actions at all, but it's about seeing their humanity, seeing their perspective of humanity. They are doing their best, and their best looks like this, given all the circumstances of their life. This is what it looks like. Just the same way that given all the circumstances of your life, this is what your best looks like. You are too doing your best. And it may be that you are locked into, into conflict. It's not so personal in some ways. You're both playing out your roles the causes and conditions of your life and the causes and conditions of the roles you have at work. And from this perspective of common humanity, wishing them well and wishing yourself well, may both of us, may both of us, in this situation, this struggle in this situation of conflict, may both of us be well. May both of us be happy. Wishing both of you well. Wishing them well. Wishing them happiness and goodness. Just as you wish yourself happiness and goodness. May both of us be happy. May both of us be well. Expanding, relaxing, allowing a recognition that there could be goodwill for this person as a human being. Just as there can be good goodwill for yourself and care for yourself. And how that can shift, transform, change. The struggle. You can still disagree but see the person's humanity. Not hate them. Your disagreement can come not on a personal level, not from ill will. Wishing them well. 
bring their image to mind, if you lose the image, if you lose contact with the image or the felt sense, bring it to mind as clearly as you can. If it feels safe, if it feels okay, maybe they're sitting in front of you or standing in front of you. They're right here. And wishing them well. And for the last part of this guided meditation, I'd like to invite you to bring both your, the colleague you're having difficulty with, if there is one, And notice I'm not calling them your difficult person because they're not difficult. It's just that you're having difficulty with them right now. So bring them to mind and invite back the neutral person, person you don't know so well, as a stand-in for all of humanity. And also invite your easy person, your friend, benefactor, At the beginning, bring them all in as if you're sitting with all of them in a circle, the four of you. Realizing that in your humanity, in your existence, in being a conscious being, you're not so different. You all want to be happy and not suffer. You're all, your lives are born out of causes and conditions, many of which have been beyond your control. And from that recognition, letting there be a goodwill, goodwill for everyone in your circle. May all of us be happy. May all of us be well. May all of us be happy. May all of us be well. There is not much of a difference between your favorite person, favorite being, neutral and difficult. Is it possible? Is it possible to hold all with goodwill? Friendliness. It might be a stretch, but that's why it's a practice. Or it might be easy. For you. May all of us be well. May all of us be happy.
So the practice that we just did together is a practice of loving-kindness or metta. And we started with our easy person, person for whom it's easy to have care, and just to prime the heart. The idea is to prime the heart, like, oh yeah, I care for you, may you be well, may you be happy, of course. It's easy. Yeah. And then we, we moved to... It's called a neutral person, neutral being in this practice. So we start where it's really, really easy, right? Priming the heart. Then, okay, it becomes a little more hmm, interesting. Someone I don't know at all. Can I have goodwill for this person? Just friendliness. May I wish them, can I wish them well? Even though I know nothing about them. Just because they're another human being just like me. And to say that this is a practice, if, if you try this on and it was kind of like, not so sure. It's okay. It's a practice. As you practice it, it becomes easier and easier and your heart expands more and more in recognizing its own goodwill and kindness. And then from there, then was the next step of the exercise, like math problems, you know, you just kind of QED, make it easier or more challenging. The next was to bring someone, if there is someone, add to your workplace that you're having a challenge with. You're kind of like locked in into this situation. And then recognizing that, too, in terms of their humanity, they're not so different from the person you don't know so much about, your easy person, and you. You're all the same in the fundamental way of being humans who suffer, want to be happy, and are doing the best they can with what they have been given. Our ideals might be here, and the best we can do might be here. And that might be the same for everyone. So from that perspective of recognizing them, their humanity, wishing them well, not condoning the actions. Again, really want to separate the actions from the humanity. Recognizing their humanity means having goodwill for the person. You too are a human being. You're doing your best. And this thing you did the other day, that was really hurtful, and we need to talk about it, and it's not okay for you to continue to do that. So having kindness or compassion doesn't mean mean that you become a wet noodle, or you, you become like, oh, you can do anything, I have kindness. It does not mean that at all. It means you have respect for the humanity of the person, and yet you can have fierce kindness, fierce compassion. This is not okay. This is not okay. I care about you. I see your humanity. And this action is not okay. Does that make sense? This is a really important point to really grok. Seeing someone's humanity, respecting, caring, loving their humanity, and the actions, if they're hurtful, you need to do something about that, right? Okay. So in this practice, we systematically went from easy person, neutral, person we're having difficulty with, just to see the common humanity of all of us together. So I'm going to pause for a moment and ask if there are any questions, any comments, any reflections, what came up for you? Yes, that was a quick hand. Hold on. Thank you. A big question, because we're talking about work. Yeah. So I feel it's very easy to have a response about 
you know, I care about your humanity and we need to look at this issue. Um, when it's with a person that's not in a hierarchy, in a command and control organization, top down. So what's the question? Sorry. Uh, top, oh, okay. So, you know, if we're peers yeah. or equals yeah. or in a social group like this, yeah. Yeah. then I feel like I could say anything to anyone in a kind way. Uh-huh. But the challenge for me yeah. is when it is a command and control, top-down, sure. hierarchic sure. corporation or yeah. what have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great, yeah. great. That, then it becomes more challenging for you to do that. Great. I'm so glad you brought it up. Okay. So it's not so different. And the same way that you know we just made it more challenging, more challenging, that's the next step for you. And let me spell out the expansion because in a way even though they are in this hierarchy they are in the hierarchy too they're stuck in this hierarchy the same way that you are right so it's their humanity to see their humanity and see that they too are in a role it's not you know there could be somebody else in that role and they would have to probably do the same thing like tell you to do this and not to do that so it's not personal to see the causes and conditions so whether it's a peer or it's a supervisor or someone that is reporting to you it's it's separating their role from their humanity it's a, it's a human being that's in that role so that makes sense when it's a yeah. regular human being yeah <laughs> but what <laughs> what if it, it's an unusual person without labeling them like our president? Mm, yeah, 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 great. That's great. I, I knew sooner or later we would end up there. <laughs> um, would be the same. Would be the same. It's This is the same practice, and now you just made it much harder. It's like the next level of challenge, you know. When I teach compassion cultivation practice, it's inevitable. Somebody either brings up someone in high office or Hitler, or like, how do you do this practice? Like, ah, are you sure? Like, yep, this is the practice the Buddha teaches. Um, and it's a practice. It's a practice. It just keeps, in fact, metta, loving kindness, compassion are taught in concentric circles. You start with where it's easy, and you keep expanding. You keep expanding. You don't go the very first day to, all right, let's do someone that's hardest for me, and it's like, most challenging. Um, you start where it's easy. You cultivate, you cultivate, and okay, now I'm ready for the next. Okay, now I'm ready for the next. So in the guided meditation, that was a pretty quick trans- trans- transition. Like, okay, two minutes, all right, next, next. We usually do it a lot slower, but I... But just to try it on for size. So, so bringing this back to, to difficult, you know, people you have a lot of difficulty with, it's still seeing the same thing, that they're still human being, given all the cause and conditions in their life. This is the best they can do. Ouch. Wow. Wow. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurt hurt people or the lack of compassion, lack of seeing. It's, it's just, whew, ouch. I'm, you know, people I have so much difficulty with, there's no condoning of what they do, right? Fierce compassion, stop. 
And yet, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not in that body, in that mind. It's such a painful place to be. So that can open up one for compassion, even in the hardest case. In fact, I'm going to totally raise the bar now. Uh, and this is not me, this is the Buddha. So um, there is a teaching in, um, in the sutta called the simile of the saw. Simile of the saw. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful teaching. And somewhere there, he says, and I'll paraphrase, but it's basically, if you, um, if you were on a trip and the bandits came and, and got you, um, you know, those days there were bandits, um, and if the bandits were to sever you, sorry, this is a graphic, oh, if the bandits were to sever you with a two-handed saw, hence the simile of the saw, with a two-handed saw, limb by limb, you, um, anyone who has ill will um, is not one of my followers. In fact, you should have, you should have goodwill for them, uh, exalted, uh, boundless uh, well-being for a good, a good um, have compassion and loving kindness for them even on that level. Now that is a challenging teaching. When I saw that, I was like, well, okay, I've got a long way to go. Uh, but that is that is the ideal. So I just share that with you. Um, that it's not like, oh yeah, I'm going to have compassion and kindness and goodwill for this person, but not for that person. You know, they're, they're a jerk at work. You know, you're going to stay out of my circle of compassion. No, this is this is our practice. It's a high bar, but what else would you do? Don't you want a high bar? To, to grow, really grow as a human being. It's a life's work. It's a life's work. Yes, please. Sort of following up on that, I mean, to me though, it's, uh, I'm not really doing this for them so, per se. I'm doing it yeah. for me. Yes. And um, so if I can't, don't have loving kindness towards someone, can't do that, uh-huh. then I... For me, it's, I turn to, well, what is, why is that? Why can't I? Mm-hmm. And then you go down a step and you're, maybe it would be because I feel better, that I'm better than them. <laughs> and that, and so why do I need to feel better than them? Well, I'm looking for happiness outside of me, you know, mm-hmm. something outside of me, you know, and then you get down to, so it allows you to dig down to the more fundamental piece yeah. of it, you know, by, by using hoots when you have resistance giving, yeah, giving exactly. it, it tells you something about right. what's inside you. Yeah, exactly. It becomes a mirror, becomes a reflection. Thank you. And there's another thing that you also said, which I really want to, to um, emphasize and highlight, which is we are doing this practice for ourselves first and foremost, right? It's not for them that you're wishing well for them. It's, it's for the freedom of your own heart so that every time you see them in the hallway or you interact with them in a meeting, you don't go, who's suffering, right? Or, you are, yeah? So that if there is ease, if there is ease, you're not suffering. Like, okay, yeah. That, and that disagreement can come from a place of ease, it can be so much more easy, so much more powerful, actually, to have co- conversation and disagreements when it's not personal, when it's not a, like, oh, I hate you. It's like, I see your humanity. Yep, I disagree with you. It's just there's so much ease. There is so much more ease and freedom. 
so much more ease and freedom. And and sometimes I, I like to relate this actually the that 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 tightness, that sense of ill will in the workplace, that sometimes can lead many things can lead, but that can too re- lead to burnout. That's a, so really compassion in this way for others it it it's a resource for you <sighs> so that you're not in that in that rub rubbing place there's no rub in your heart there's no pain in your heart when you're interacting with them so you're really doing it for yourself and guess what you are doing it for yourself and yet you're also doing it for others because it will show up it will show up in your family your family will notice you're less stressed out. You're not exhausted, less exhausted when you come to come home from work. And your coworkers might even notice, oh yeah, she's more pleasant. She's not that stressed out, not as as difficult. You know, they might consider you the difficult person. Have you considered that? <laughs> Isn't that interesting to kind of turn it around? You're their difficult person because you're like, yeah, thank you for that. Other, yeah, please. So I've learned through experience and teaching to see the highest potential in people that I come across. And I've even written about seeing the masterpiece in each person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where I come into conflict is like you mentioned, like a Hitler figure or somebody who just does pure wrong and they're just checked out in their ego, like a someone who walks in and bombs a place. Um, I cannot see the masterpiece in that, but I can have compassion for the people who are affected by that. And what I've learned is to to just let, let go mm. um, versus feeding that evil or feeding that darkness right. of what this person has done like if they go in and they sh- you know they shoot up a school or something like yeah, that yeah so um i think i found my path through that to be um mindful about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i still shudder to with the having compassion towards the individual who does that evil act yeah so so here's what an invitation that i have for you i think what might make this a little um expanding of the heart. And again, it's a practice. It's not going to happen overnight. So please hang in there. Um, And um, one thing that might make it a little more complicated is the use of the word masterpiece in this case, which is setting the bar pretty high. How about about using, seeing their common humanity, that they're still human, that they're still, they're so deluded. There's so much delusion, greed, hatred, and delusion. Delusion also translated as confusion or not knowing better, or ha- or another way is having dust in your eyes. You know, if if they didn't have dust in their eyes, they wouldn't do what they're doing. If you didn't have dust in your eyes, you wouldn't do. I mean, all of us, we all have different levels of dust in our eyes in different times. Um, not having dust in our eyes would have, would be complete, clear vision of the actions that we have on others and really feeling like um, this, this kind of clairvoyancy of, you know, if I hit you, like if I, I would feel your pain, like I would never hit you if I, if I knew 
the results of my action. You, you see where I'm going? So there's a certain level of delusion not to see the results of your action in the world. And having compassion for that, oh, and not pity, not, not, not a like, oh, I'm bitter than you. It's like, oh, this could be me. This could have been you. You didn't choose your body, your parents, your circumstances. You could have been born as that person who's completely deluded. I mean, it's astounding. We, we assume so much control. And we hate people for some of the circumstances. The choices, yes, you, should, you disagree with. But ah, I'll, I'll just leave it there and, and let it be your unfolding practice through the years. Thank you. Yes, hold on. Thank you. Um, I attended a workshop here last weekend and uh, with Dan Rothberg, I think is his name. One of but the. Did I have his name right? Um, it's uh, Donald Rothberg. Oh, Donald. Oh, Don, all right, Donald. And what was real helpful to me because I'm a corporate you know, psychologist and executive coach. And I, I just work with clients all day in in this area of reactivity. Mm. And what I thought was brilliant that, you know, that he talked about was he reframed suffering, which I always had tried to understand or clients, you know, it mm-hmm. just, it gets a little, you know, out there yeah. what, what that is. Yeah. But reactivity you can really relate to. Right. And I kept thinking on a personal level, and you talk about practice, I practice lowering my reactivity all day. Okay, because all day someone can piss you off and someone can annoy you. And, and I'll say, Maynard, so-and-so didn't wake up, you know, just to get, you know, piss me off and whatever. So I think if you frame it like more about um, lowering your reactivity mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, as a stress expert, you know, it's like if you have that kind of more as a daily practice. Mm-hmm. And the other piece he talked about that I thought was really incredible, a lot of it is judgment, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think the two of them together, like lowering your reactivity and really paying attention to the judgments that we make about other people. And it was really useful to, you know, yeah, to me to yeah. quote unquote lower our suffering. And for the most part, what I've learned and talked to my clients about is like, if you want to even Trump or whoever is an example, they don't care. So all it does is affect you. Mm-hmm. You know, you get sick. That's but, right. But they're yeah. fine. Exactly. Right? Right? They don't even know that they don't, you're they don't suffering. Know. They're oblivious they're to like, it. Yeah. Right, but you're the one who go, you know, comes home and complains, you know, about what's going on. So the harm really comes to yourself versus mm-hmm. that other person. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate how you shared how this reframing has been so helpful for you in the way of reducing reactivity um, uh, for yourself. For yourself, it's. And what I would say is that actually um, go and, and also reducing judgment. And guess what? The practice of metta is taught as a way to reduce reactivity because it creates this feeling of soothing, like like a um, balm, like a balm in your heart is soothing. It re- it naturally reduces your reactivity as well as reduces judgments. When there is goodwill, judgments can't hang out. So really, they go together. So whether the framing of reducing reactivity, which will actually take both mindfulness and compassion. So they really go together. And that's another helpful perspective to see it on. And it's, it's all, it's, you know, it's the same gem 
of practice, whether you look at it from this perspective, light shines from this perspective or the other, it's the same thing. So how it, the, the light shines and, and shines out on you, it's like, oh yeah, this is the perspective I see, works for me, great. And same practices. So, any last reflections on the practice we did? Questions before we move on? One last one. Yeah. Next to you. <laughs> Easy. Um, uh, it was really intense for me to put my loved one with the person that gives me difficulty yeah. and put them in the circle together. Yeah. And nice. so there's this person you really love and care about and this person that's giving you trouble. Yeah. And they're on the same plane. They're together. Yeah, nice. Thank you for that. Appreciate that, yeah. So, as you're walking out, pause for a moment, because I'm going to stop now. We're go- Actually, we're going for a mindful break right now, but I want to give you an instruction before you go out. So, um, And that is, um, let's have a walking period, and let's make this a silent walking period. You're welcome to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom, of course. And what I'm going to ask you in this silent walking period, which we'll have for about 20 minutes, um, is do a walking meditation with this practice. So take your person you care about or your neutral person or and or, maybe all the four of you are working walking together. You're walking together. Does that make sense? It's a walking practice, a metta walking practice. This was the sitting or standing practice. And now... May you be well, may you be happy. You conjure them up. Maybe they're just walking with you. Maybe first you start walking with your favorite person, then neutral person will come in, and then the person you're having difficulty with, you're just walking doing this practice. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So let's be back at 3.15. Okay. And coming back to the big group. Yeah. So, time for a few um, comments. What was this like for you? What did you discover? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Did you surprise yourself? Whew. Yeah, please. Yes. Mike is coming your way. Well, it was really long, number one. But number two, what was kind of fun about it was um, I already started a lot of that stuff. I mean, what I was afraid of, I've been pondering it in my head and, and confronting my fears over the years. So some of the stuff that I was afraid of, even though I'm afraid of it, I'm in the process of manifesting it or taking steps towards it. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool, just yes. that recognition. Oh, wow, all that work I've been doing in the past about confronting fears. Anyway, it, they're, they're, nice. they're, they're, they're not necessarily stopping me anymore yeah. or as much. Yeah, yeah, nice. Nice, the recognition of how far you've come on this journey of the fears and the progress. Nice. Thank you. 
What else? Other suggestions? Especially if you haven't spoken before. I like to invite you in this round. If you haven't uh, put your voice in the room yet, you're especially invited to, to do so if you wish. Yeah, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for your teaching today. Thank you. Um, I noticed whether I was speaking wrong or listening wrong, that tremendous spaciousness was opened uh, through the repetition as the fears were being named. Uh, uh, Even though there was no intention specifically to let them go, I noticed the dropping and the creation of much space, even in the room, as the naming of the fears. Nice. I so appreciate you saying that. The naming of the fears, actually, when we shine light on what we're afraid of, ah, it's like, you know, the fears are in the closet, and the closet door is closed. Ah, they're big, they're huge, there's this monster. And then you open the door, shine the light, Oh, <laughs> right? It's much more manageable. It's a tiny little thing in there. Okay. That's what it feels like to name them. Thank you. Yeah. Over here, please. First row. Or second. Thank you. Whichever you count. Yeah. Uh, just to confirm, the question was thoughts, feedback, what came up during the sure, session? Sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, yeah, thank you for your teaching. You. I've been listening to your podcasts for many years, and so mm. it's really great to, to be here personally. Mm. Sweet. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> um, I noticed a, a thing that came up in our dyad, and a, probably an issue that reoccurred throughout the dyads in this room, yeah. uh, is an issue of kind of connections with other people and having fears around connections with other people, be that in a family setting or a romantic setting or friendships, work connections, any of that. Um, I think, um, it's pretty universal that we all have fears around having our connections betrayed or interrupted or taken away through loss. And so, um, in our dyad, you know, we both were talking about things related to that. Um, and it's something that I've, um, had issues with in my life. Mm. Um, you know, trust and, um, putting yourself out there. Um, and so kind of variations of this theme. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to recognize that and recognize that the, um, impetus for overcoming a lot of the fears we have around connection and intimacy um, is love and connection and intimacy, which is really, in my view, um, the greatest reason for living, (laughs) you know? And so um, that's really important for me to keep in mind and for, I think, everyone to Mm -hmm. keep in mind um, that you can have this fear that keeps you walled up and separate from everyone else. Um, but if you can overcome that, if you can be mindful that you have these fears and you can take steps to overcome and break through the barriers that you set up, that other people set up, you can really reach, um, the meaning of life in my view. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that comment. Yeah. Beautiful. Couldn't have said it better. One last comment. Then before we move on, over here. 
Um, I noticed I felt so much comfort just listening to my partner because she had the same fears. So it made me feel like, ah, yes, we are all connected, and it is part of being human. Um, And another thing I noticed is it's so easy for me to hold space for people, not just in this exercise, but even in the first one, but it's so hard for me to voice Mm. or, you know, to speak from my own experience or to share. I'm just not used to people holding space for me. So it's hard to speak up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really trying to learn to be okay with letting people help me and yeah. hold me and take care of me. What like I find for? it very uncomfortable. Yeah. I remember in the first exercise when I was speaking, yeah. like I was fidgeting, like I couldn't yeah. even stay still. Yeah. But when other people talk, I can fully drop in and it's so easy and I don't fidget. So... Just noticing all that. How is it in this last exercise in terms of being present and fidgeting? And I fidgeted less. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yay! Woohoo! In one day already. <laughs> uh, I think it was because it was one-on-one mm-hmm. versus yeah. a group of people. Yeah. And maybe because we were facing each other. Yeah. 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 So I want to commend you for being here and for hanging through for for hanging in there with the exercises even though it's been uncomfortable because often what is uncomfortable is our edge is where we're afraid or difficult and by actually staying with it gently not in a ah but in a gently feeling supported i appreciate your words allowing yourself to feel supported allowing yourself to feel held and meeting the discomfort and kind of like letting the edges dissolve a little around it and um, just just appreciating that you're here and continuing to allow yourself to be in this uncomfortable process which is starting to become a little more comfortable. And then at some point maybe even relishing the delight, the joy of these human beings supporting you and holding witness and you speaking and finding your own voice and speaking from your own experience, which is just as important as anybody else's experience. So thank you. Thank you. For taking the mic to share that. Yeah. Thank you. So, let's see, time-wise. Tell you what. Let's take a... This is going to be a short stretch break because we're getting into the last stretch and there's one more thing I like to do. I want to share something with you and do one final exercise. But you've been sitting for a while, so let's just take a five-minute stretch break, either in place or bio break, so back in five minutes to wind down. Okay? That was a long five minutes. Oops. My watch died, so. Okay. All right, let's get started. So for the last part, um, there are a few things I wanted to mention. Let me see if I've covered. Yeah, okay. So so one thing that I wanted to, to bring in is, you know, we talked in the beginning of the morning about um, deep listening 
exercises, um, practicing listening and presence, um, also talked about how recognizing that your work, the work you do, how it actually relates to um, to others, how you can be the one to hold the space, to be the calm one in the storm, um, how the difference that you can make through through compassion, through mindfulness, through your presence, the influence that it can have in the workplace um, in terms of changing not just your satisfaction with your work, but also the way that other people interact and 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 and, and, and um, affecting the whole ambiance of work. Just touching to a few things we've talked about. Um, we've also talked about compassion, both compassion for yourself and compassion for others, kindness for yourself and kindness for others as a way to support yourself and support others in terms of burnout, compassion fatigue, in terms of just frustration and just like, Oh, the heaviness of being at work and just the, the, the rubbing, the reactivity that can happen with others. And I briefly wanted to also touch and we brought in the idea of equanimity because equanimity um, really ties in with the idea of non-attachment to outcome. It's the idea that even though you are doing your best, you are doing your best. There are so many causes and conditions. So you're still, you will do your best but not being attached to outcomes. So so in that way, equanimity or equipoise is different from apathy because apathy is like, well, whatever, I don't care, I have no control. Whereas with equanimity, you're still invested. You, there is love, there is devotion as an element of equanimity. There is still devotion and care, but there is also that letting go of outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah. One second, please. Would somebody please grab Joe? Thank you. Yeah, when you this outcome piece is what really resonated with me yeah. through the course of the day, because, yeah. and I sort of was trying to write it out a little bit, but I I feel like I I spent most of my career and training. Um, and I would attribute most of my accomplishments, such as they are, to the fact that I was passionately, wholeheartedly committed to outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, embraced it like a lover, practically. You know, I mean, I really feel like that's, and that's almost like I've been trained and coached and pushed and expected, you know, to do that. And the place I've been in lately is yeah. that I'm, I don't, I feel like I don't have it in me anymore. Mm-hmm. to do that in a mm-hmm. way that burnout doesn't even come really close to the mm-hmm. a right word for it. And I feel like there's this, this the Buddha's teaching, there's this sort of path to, to be free of that, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's um, but it's like I can recognize it and sort of see it, but I can't, I haven't quite worked my way, my way there. I'd be interested to know, like, how to get, what's the next, what's the best way to sort of work towards letting go of that love of that passionate towards the outcome and being right and all that kind of mm, Okay, yeah, so if I can paraphrase your question, it's, the question is really about exploring um, 
you know, you've been trained to care about the outcome, and I'm right, and it's, it's, there's like, there's a tightness around it. Yeah, great. Okay, I'm going to give you a physical simile, which I learned from Gil Fransdell, one of my mentors. So, so the way you're describing it, it's like this. Like, oh, right? It's, I so want it. Like, oh, it's painful, by the way. It's just like squeezing. Ouch, right? What if, still, I really care about this stick. It's a really nice stick. It's really useful. It's it's come handy throughout the day. I really like the stick. And can I hold it with an open hand? There's a different feeling in the body. So I leave this with you to kind of like feel it. Are you like holding the mission like this, or are you holding it like, ah, you're still holding it, but holding it very differently. It's about your relationship to it, not so much the object. It's about your relationship to it. So, so yes, equanimity and the difference from apathy. Is that clear? Any questions about equanimity? It's a sense of equipoise. Equipoise, equanimity. And the definition of equanimity is you're neither um, pulling away, aversive towards something, neither, nor are you falling into it. It's more like you're holding it with that open hand, actually. That's a good example of equanimity. And apathy is kind of pulling back. And by the way, one of, as, as I mentioned, I'll re- say it again, part of equanimity, opeka in Pali, is compassion, is loving kindness. So equanimity has a sense of warmth to it. You still care. You're still holding. Whereas apathy is like, ugh, whatever. You're like, ugh. It's, maybe apathy would be like this. <laughs> You're just kind of like, get it away from me, right? Whereas equanimity is like, ah. Oh. So, so with that, I'd like to move and move on and share a few things, and then, um, so what we talked about, your work as your practice, them being the same thing, not being so different. So really, throughout the day, we've been talking about the different attitude about work as your practice. And there are a few practical ways also that you can invite bring more mindfulness and compassion. So we talked about the compassion practice and loving-kindness practice as a guided meditation this afternoon. And there are also various um, uh, mindfulness practices that you can take to, to work, trying to avoid distractions, for example. I'll name these really briefly, very quickly, because any of these, there are many more resources out there available for you trying to avoid distractions, avoiding interruptions. So you can have a block of time to actually work. Quit, quitting social media as much as possible, That as, as much as it's supportive for you, um, or, or limiting social media as much as it's supportive for you. Um, Cal Newport has an interesting book called Deep Work, where he's really espousing having long chunks of time, if you can, interruption-free, so that creativity can really flourish. So that's something that I would recommend. Um, Because in that way, 
you can be more embodied, mindful, present with your work, and it can be more nourishing. Um, there's so many issues with context switching all the time. And the effects, the residue of it both show up in your mind, in your body, and also afterwards in your practice on the cushion. Mindfulness of the body, I cannot emphasize that enough. Mindfulness of the body in meetings, when you're sending emails, coming back, keep coming back to the body. Keep checking into the body. How am I feeling? A lot of times as I'm typing emails, oh wait, what what am I feeling? Is this anger? Like, do I really want to hit send right now? Not a good idea. Okay, let's let's just let's check in, check in with the body. Um, so many more things to say about this, but this is a good time to actually pause and turn. So, what I'd like to invite us to do for the last part um, is we're going to do another exercise in groups. So I invite you to get into groups of four or five again, ideally different groups. We have about 10 minutes left. And that we're going to do this as a spiral. And what is a spiral format? Each person will share one nugget. And the, the question is, uh, what are you already doing? What are? How are you already taking your practice to work? What are you? Because here's like, oh, how do we do it? Well, actually, you realize when you answered the question, there's also many things you're already doing. So that would be what you will share. Well, I'm already taking a break, like whatever, the, my lunch break, I'm eating mindfully, or maybe I intend to eat mindfully, well, whatever it is, okay? So, so the spiral, each person will share one thing. It could be either what you int- how you intend to take your practice to work, or how you're already taking your practice to work. Whatever comes up for you, whatever you're inspired to share. Actually, this is what, does that make sense? And each person will share one thing, not a long monologue, just one sentence, then the next person, then the next person, and then it will come to you again. So the idea is that we'll go through the spiral a few times. Yes? Because each person will, oh, you said this, oh, it reminds me. This is what I already do, or this is what I would love to do. That's a great idea. Yes? Got it? Let's go. All right. Groups of four or five, ideally new, but probably won't work. All new. All on the cushion or all in chair. Raise your hand if you need a group. Raise your hand if you need more people. Great. And as we're closing, um, love to hear, you can just shout out, and I'll repeat. And I'll repeat like a few things you're taking home, like one thing. You shout out one thing you're taking home from today. Equanimity. Equanimity. That's a great thing to take home. Equipoise. Equipoise. Ooh, nice. What else? Values. Thank you. Non-attachment to outcome. I heard that first. Deeper compassion. Thank you. Wholehearted engagement. Wholehearted engagement. <laughs> Had a sound effect. Yeah. Not constantly. 
It puts it in your puts you back in your body. The constancy, the 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 hanging in there. Nice. Even though it hasn't been perfect, the realization that you have been living wise livelihood. Yay. Nice. What else? What else? Yay. That brings joy for me. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Both of us. What else? Embodied listening. Nice. Yeah, yeah, being in nature, uh, along with all this stuff, but also just being in nature, the expansiveness of that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Acknowledging fear. Acknowledging fear. Yeah, thank you for that, naming that. The other thing to name. Ah, noting what's familiar, yeah. What's the, where's the Buddha in your life? Mm-hmm. The familiar, nice, yeah. Priming your heart. Yeah, great. Yeah, terrific, beautiful. I'm sure there's a lot more, and it's 4.30. Right on the dot. So thank you so much, all of you, for coming and practicing. Thank you. And spreading this into the world. You do this work not just for yourself, but for all the people whom you come in contact with, your family, your colleagues, everyone. So let's dedicate the merit of our practice, of a wholehearted, can't even speak anymore, wholehearted practice today. That You really practiced today, you guys. You showed up. So let's dedicate the wholeheartedness of your day, being here, naming fears, naming everything, working, working. Let's dedicate the goodness generated To all beings everywhere, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free, and all beings includes us. Thank you all. Be well. Be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.